three, two, one. Welcome to The Peaceful Truth, the podcast where we talk about everything from women empowerment, feminism, and everything in between. You're joined by me, one of your co-hosts, Kenzie Meekbeck. Megan is out of town for one more week. She'll be back next week. But I interviewed a guest who is Annette Mori, and she is a Washington State writer. Um, And we asked her what it was like to become a writer, what inspired her to get into the genre she's in, and also gave us some tips on if some of our listeners are interested interested in becoming a writer. She is also of the baby boomer generation, so she gave us some perspective of what feminism used to be like and the direction she feels like it's going and whether it's a positive one. So without further ado, let's check it out. Well, hello, and thank you so much for joining us on The Peaceful Truth today. Um, I was hoping that you could introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do. Okay, great. Well, thank you for having me. What's What, what an honor to be asked. Uh, Okay, so um, my day job or my main job, the job that pays the bills, honestly, uh, is uh, as a a healthcare uh, human resources executive. Oh, cool. And I've been in that career for, oh, over 30 years, so a long time. Actually, it's winding down, probably going to be looking at retirement in the next couple of years. Heck yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that gives me, that gives me a chance to, you know, and for years I, I kind of looked at it as a hobby, but after, uh, after 12 published novels and my 13th is coming out in October, everybody keeps saying you you can't say it's a hobby. (laughs) So my other side of my other hat is as an author. So I write books and, um, and I call them mashups because there's always a little bit of romance, but there's always something else attached to it. So I like to write about topics that are of great passion to me. So they're all over the map in terms of, of topical things that I write about. That's really cool. So what's your book about then coming out in October so we can promote it? And what's it called? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's actually it's called The, uh, the Book Addict. And it's one of those... Um, more uh, odd. Uh, I call myself an acquired taste because sometimes I do really out there kind of books. And the, the whole premise of this book is that there are book magicians out there. And what they do is they pick individuals who they believe need some excitement, entertainment, uh, something in their life to bring them out of the doldrums and to recognize their worth, essentially. So this uh, book magician who has this uh, bookstore um, picks this very uh, introverted kind of nerdy book addict and sends her on an adventure. Oh, cool. And what happens is there's a little bit of, I, I go into the research about the history of female magicians uh, which there's some very interesting historical facts, both legend and history. And it, and I talk about how there's this struggle between the book wizards who think they're better than the female book magicians. And they call them apprentices. And there's this whole struggle. And there's this evil wizard who runs the wizard council. And he ends up uh, trying to, uh, to send this book addict on an adventure have her never come back because she's the chosen one not only for the mythical history but the one who's going to turn this around for the female book magician so it's it's kind of 
fun, interesting adventure, page turner love story uh, with a little bit of uh, mystical history attached to it. That's so much fun. That's so cool. Um, so I wanted to see one, what inspired you to go into this field of writing romance novels and why and well, I guess and just other types of novels as well, because you mix in a little bit of romance. I don't know if they would like all of them are pure romance or not. But yeah, so um, so what inspired you to get into this? And why did you feel like it was necessary? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, it actually, the, the story is, and, and um, the one I stick with, because it's true, is I was living apart from my wife, like I am again. It seems like we always go through these stages where we're living apart. So I took a job in a new place, and we were living apart. And during the week, I'm not a big TV goer, and I read a lot. And I was reading one day, and I kind of joked, and I said, I could write these books. <laughs> And so I got bored and uh, I had a dream and I had this idea for writing a book and I just started writing and I didn't know anything about writing other than my mother who was an English teacher. So I think I had a good basis for the basic grammatics and those types of things, but there's a lot more to writing than that. So I sent it in to this publisher and apparently they saw something in my creativity and they said, Okay, you need a lot of work. You need to understand some of the concepts behind, you know, head hopping and some other things. And they worked with me, and the rest is history. That's and so cool. And then I just sort of evolved into picking topics that I thought were important to talk about. So, you know, I've talked about mental health issues. I've talked about, I've snuck in politics in my dystopian novel. There was a. It Trump seems like novel. the magician one has subtle hints to it too. There. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's too true, and I think there's also an under underlying theme of people who don't sort of recognize their own worth, and they end up um, challenging some of the the notions that society has of worthiness. Um, and for women, it's often in the outside package. And so there's a, there is probably in more than one of my books, sort of a common theme of seeing underneath that outer package, you know, beyond that cover. Basically. That's really great. And the beauty within versus this external beauty that you, uh, that really is there in society. I mean, there's lots of research, interesting research studies about individuals who go in for interviews and the attractive person, regardless of whether they have the most amount of experience or the most amount of um, positive references, anything like that, the individuals who lose more attractive will end up getting the job over the less physically attractive person. Oh, wow. By societal standards. It's, it's quite interesting, actually. That's really cool, those topics to hit on, plus including romance. That's really neat. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to see how did you, so you kind of told me how you would break in to this field, but what, what advice would you give for a young female or just any female? I guess my podcast could have different types of age listeners um, for getting started into being an author. And do you feel like there's any limitations for women when it comes to becoming an author as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, well, I would say uh, women, um, uh, persons of color, 
um, certainly the LGBTQ, it's, 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 it's not hard to break into it. In fact, it's quite flooded now. It's just that audience is not as broad as I think most would like it to be. So I would say if I really wanted to make a living at this rather than just write about the things that I have a passion for, I would do more of the tropes. I'd do strict romance and I'd probably do straight romance um, because that's what sells. So the minute that you get smaller, your market gets smaller. And, um, you know, historically, male authors do better than female authors. And what's really interesting is, you know, there are a handful of romance authors out there that'll just swap out the gender. And now they're even breaking into, for whatever reason, because I, I, I don't quite understand. I'm like, why would you take a straight romance change it to two lesbians and try to break into the lesbian market, which is so much smaller. And you've seen people uh, do that? People do it. Yeah. Hmm. It's all the time. So it's an interesting thing that's happening now. Uh, I think it's a tough market. What I would say is Kindle Unlimited books are what's selling um, more than anything else because people buy that subscription and they can try out new authors. So if you're going to try to break into any market, you you need to be out there on Facebook. You need to be um, getting involved in readers, writers, groups, and uh, get a good editor and put your work out on Kindle Unlimited. Some of the uh, fan fiction is a way that people have broken into that, which is an interesting way. It wasn't how I didn't even know about fan fiction, but that's a way that some people have broken into it. Okay. And telling a good story. Got to tell a good story. (laughs) That's true. You have to be a good writer, I guess, to make it. Do you feel like providing this resource, or not resource, or this element of romance for lesbians to read, do you feel like that's a limited market in, like, you're opening up a door that maybe people try to write for that can't like tell it themselves or that don't identify as that. Like, do you feel like you're breaking into a market that's needed for women who identify as lesbian? I would have said that was probably more true. Maybe, I don't know. Um, even as, as short as five or 10 years ago, but not anymore. You know, there's so many more, um, lesbian authors out there now or lesbian fiction that's out there now that there never used to be. It used to be that you couldn't find that. Yeah. It used to be when I first started reading, it was like there was not there was hardly anything. And the, the pioneers in uh, lesbian fiction are the individuals like um, Rita Mae Brown, um, Catherine Forrest. And you would go to a bookstore and you would go in and you would literally, there would be this small group of books that you had to choose from. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have to wait for like a month for the next novel to come out. <laughs> and um, ebooks have just exploded the market now. Oh, that's cool. And then the second phase was Kindle Unlimited, where anybody could publish. So with Kindle Unlimited, you don't have to have a publisher. You can self-publish. And there's, you know, there's some people who say, that the Kindle Unlimited books are not as good quality. And and I would say that's not true all the time. There's some very good independent authors out there that publish exclusively on Kindle Unlimited 
and do a good job of hiring editors and things like that. Um, but right now, you can you can get anything from really terrible books that aren't very well edited to some really fine books on Kindle Unlimited, and you read them for free because if you have a subscription, you're right there. So the market, I don't think, is lacking. I think where the market is lacking is um, outside the trope. Mm. And when I say outside the trope, I'm talking about things like the the books that sell the best are the ones where the characters are between 20 and 35. Yeah. The minute that you get over 40 or 50, sales go down for the most part. If you include characters, persons with disability, persons of color, um, science fiction doesn't sell as well, historical, if you really want to have a terrible, terrible book that doesn't sell well at all, do a historical fiction with women over 50 and people of color. You pretty much kill it. Oh, wow. um, That's so sad to so learn about the limitations. It is sad. So, and and what's sad about that is that you hear out there that there's these people who want this because they want characters that are more like them. Yeah. Um, but the sales don't support that. So, um, for people like me who don't really care about sales, I will write that. I do write that. I do write about. Um, you can't get any more conventional than two young women with Down syndrome. And one of my books has features that couple along with another couple. And um, there was questions about whether that would sell. And it did, it did okay. And it did okay mostly because of my reader base who really pushed it for me and said, this is a great book. Um, get beyond that sort of initial, ooh, why would I want to read about two young women with Down syndrome that fall in love? But it's a many-layered story. And so I think those stories are lacking. And there are some people who have done well in the Kindle Unlimited market. So I see that as an up-and-coming area to bring about. Um, but it's not there yet. Uh, most people like the traditional trope of two women meet each other, complications, you know, same. it's the same as a straight romance. And then they have communication problems and then they figure it out and they get together in the end. I mean, that's 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 the traditional romance that you see and you see it in, in, in straight and you see it in lesbian romance and gay romance and all of that. And not too often do you get something that's a little bit different. Why do you think it's so important to break those barriers? And would you encourage other people who are interested in that to do so? Um, do you feel like that'll make an impact on the world? I think because when I get um, feedback from readers who thank me for going outside of the norm, um, I, I feel sort of, uh, I feel like the book makes more of an impact. It may make more of an impact to a smaller group of people, but I'll forget the romance that's the trope. I'll like it. I'll enjoy it. It'll be a fun read, but I won't remember it. And I think people remember Unconventional Lovers. People remember Locked Inside, another really weird, interesting story. It was about a woman who had Locked Inside Syndrome in a wheelchair, can't talk, can't really move, can't communicate other than through a pad, uh, an iPad, and uh, 
that was a different story and a story that got an award and got a claim, not a huge seller, but it did, did okay. did fine. It certainly made money. Um, but that's the kind of story that people remember and people who are in wheelchairs who wrote to me and said, gosh, I'm so glad you wrote this story. Um, people who come back from the military who have been injured. I'm so glad you wrote this story. This story could have been about me and some of the struggles that I have as a person with a disability and all the things that go along with that, all the challenges. That's so, really cool. I really love making it. Making an impact. You know, that, that yeah. was the thing that was more important to me is touching people and leaving that kind of legacy. Uh, it doesn't have to be a legacy of I've sold millions of copies. It's a legacy of if I've touched 10 people in such a significant way, that's enough. I feel you there. That's definitely true. Um, so kind of, we've kind of touched on your career path. I also just wanted another perspective. We've had a lot of guests that are from more of the millennial generation, but I would love to hear from a feminist of a different generation. Um, would you consider yourself, and I apologize, baby boomer? Is that kind yeah, of? Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Accurate. Yeah. Okay, great. And what did you, I feel like you guys had a completely different experience than we're having. Well, I mean, the Me Too movement's kind of a resurgence of uh, maybe some of those peaceful protests, but can you kind of paint us a picture of what it's like and do you identify as a feminist and why? I do. And, and, you know, this is a very, very interesting topic because right now what's happening in, and I don't know if it's an outcry from what's happening in the United States in terms of this just schism between uh, the two, two parties where there's such a vitriol of communication, but what's, what's, very sad for me is it's also happening in the LGBTQ community. IA. There's so many there's so many extra letters now than there used to be. It used to be LGBT, and then they added Q, and then they added I for I've heard plus recently. Questioning, and then they added <laughs> asexual, and so there's all these additional letters. Um, and and then there's this whole new concept with this newer generation of. Um, cis, cis female. So I was born a female and I identify as a female versus non-binary in terms like queer versus lesbian. And it's very interesting. There's a, there's a woman who wrote a book, um, who's more in my, my generation called the disappearing L for lesbian, because there is now this, this political upheaval with, there's this radical feminist group that I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with all of the things that they say, but there's been such a rub because those individuals who say, no, I'm not queer. I'm a lesbian. I'm a female. I was born female. I love females. No, I don't want to date a trans person because I'm not interested in, I, I don't want to be crude, but I'm not interested in a penis. And there's this whole rub. And then there's this new terminology called TERF, um, which is, um, individuals who are not very happy with those very radical lesbians who say mm -hmm. you are born a woman, that's how you're a woman, and all this other stuff is just a bull. So there's this fight, and this turf is, uh, I think it's, it's, a, it's a derogatory term, and in fact, it's so 
so much there's so much of this rub now that there recently were individuals who were wanting to go to the Vancouver Dyke March and they were lesbians and they were holding up signs, you know, the traditional sign that was held up back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, where all of these marches sort of originated from the, 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 the feminists of the, the 70s, the two women symbols, and they were asked to not put those signs up because it was felt as it was exclusionary to the trans individuals. And there have been fights and slurs and all of these things in, in terms of this fight. So there's this infighting in the LGBTQ community that's very unproductive. Um, and there's those of us who say, hey, we should be pulling together. Um, all, of, all of us are in a minority group that should be supporting one another versus this infighting. But it's, right. it's gotten very ugly. Um, so it's, uh, I think it's called the Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminist. That's what TERF stands for. And if you're called a TERF, it is a not a, it's not a positive term. Mm. And the interesting part about the historical of feminism is back in the 70s when now first the National Organization for Women first came about, uh, the president had excluded lesbians. From, they didn't want lesbians in that because they felt it would create this, this perception of man-haters and this negative perception. And, and that was challenged um, by one, one of the founders of, of sort of lesbian fiction that became very big, called, uh, her name Rita Mae Brown, and she became very big. And in 1970, she went to the second convention and there was protest and then the lesbians were sort of let into, but they were excluded from the convention because they didn't want that label of feminists being lesbians and man-haters. Wow. So there's a very interesting history around all of this. And um, what I think is unfortunate in terms of this, this, this um, rub with, I would say, some of the, the newer generation is sort of a lack of understanding the history behind the whole evolution of, of feminism. And, you know, what the young women today can be thankful for some of the pioneers that happened back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And um, the same with, with, uh, with marriage equality. The first case that won traction was the Windsor case. It was two lesbians who won the right to have benefits. And that sort of paved the way for marriage equality. And they were older lesbians and sort of that, hey, you know, your, your founding foremothers, <laughs> don't forget about what they did to pave the way for you now. So, yeah, so it's interesting learning about non-binary, somebody who doesn't really want to... Um, claim a gender and those are all really new concepts and I don't know that I quite understand it I mean I want to say you know hey whatever you want to label yourself that's fine with me but if you start saying oh don't label yourself a lesbian because you're being limiting and all of those different things and it's rude and it's all of those 
you should be calling yourself queer so that you're not excluding. I want to say, no, but I'm okay being a lesbian. I'm okay labeling myself as a lesbian. I'm okay saying that I'm female. I don't have to use cisgender. That's not, uh, that's not important to me. I would say that I, I think um, it's, it's more common for millennials and for the younger generation to identify as either queer or non-binary or not really put themselves into what they think is a box, which is kind, kind of interesting. So this whole idea of labeling, but it is a label. I mean, if you say I'm non-binary, that's still a label. Um, it's just a different label. And so it, it doesn't feel like a box to me to say, no, yeah. I'm okay being a lesbian and identifying as a lesbian. And um, it doesn't mean I'm excluding others. It's just, that's my label that I'm okay with. That's really cool. So how would you say feminism, what was it like back then to consider yourself a feminist um, versus what it's like now? Or just maybe just paint us a picture of what it was like back in the day? Um, I think that it was more difficult to break into uh, boardrooms back then. There weren't as many uh, female role models as there are today. I mean, not to say that we've come that far, because I think still, I mean, what's really telling is the fact that, uh, and thank goodness we had an African-American president, but I do believe that there was still quite a bit of sexism that went into why this, the United States was not ready for a woman president when Hillary Clinton went for it. I think that was still a big, huge part. And, and I think that still exists. So while we've come a bit, I think actually the Me Too movement has taken us further than any, any other time. Really? But we are in a scary place because the next Supreme Court justice can make a huge difference in us sliding back a tremendous degree with feminism. I mean, I, I, I can't get, when people say, oh, you're just saying the sky's falling, the sky's falling. But I, and I, I've seen such a vitriol and I've seen such a movement backwards, not only with women's rights, but gay rights and all of these things that it, it's, it's scary unless we're able to turn things around at the midterm election, uh, some very significant backwards sliding with women's rights will probably um, be what we have to face. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good perspective. Yeah, the Me Too movement is a really cool time to live in, though, just to see people uh, not taking it anymore. Um, let's see. Um, so my final thing is, I guess you kind of answered it, and it's kind of a wrap-up, but do you feel like it's still relevant to fight for women's rights? Um, I've had a lot of feedback from men that I know, um, particularly actually sometimes when I'm in the dating world of random people, because I don't typically have these people naturally in my life, where they say, why would you even fight for women's rights? So do you feel like we have all of it? Or do you feel like there's still a lot we need to work on? 
Well, I, I think you just need to take a look at the statistics. Women still, as a whole, make less than men. So when we get to a point where it's dollar for dollar even, it's not 70 cents, 80 cents, or whichever statistic you're looking at, maybe, when we get to a point where the major Fortune 500 companies, half of them are women CEOs, yeah, maybe we're there, but we are so far from that, so far from that. So sure, there's one here and there, but um, we did not manage to break that glass ceiling. We cracked it a little bit, I think. I think we've cracked it, but we've not blasted that glass ceiling yet, not at all. And, you know, the individuals who are in a privilege, I don't think a man can truly understand that. That's just like, I can't truly understand what it's like to be a person of color. Right. And so to say, ah, oh, you've come a long way, you're there. For me to say that, I, I, I think that's very short-sighted and, um, and almost offensive. And I, could, I, can, I can definitely see how individuals Persons of color who say, how can you possibly say, oh, you've got, you know, you're there. It's not like that anymore. There's no racism. If you are not in that person's shoes and I'm sorry, but men, men are not in our shoes. And so they're not feeling that difference. I happen to be in an industry that is very female friendly. So I'm fortunate to not feel that because typically 75% of uh, healthcare is women because of nursing. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the CEOs of many hospitals, they're still not a 50-50. The CNO, yes, this chief nursing officer, female, but you're still gonna see more men as the chief executive officers in healthcare than you are women. And so in an industry where predominantly there are 75% to 80% in that industry that are female, yet at the top, the very top, there might be 25% maybe, then we still have a long way to go. Absolutely. So relating back to the topic of the podcast and just providing tips for women who are young professionals, is there anything I didn't touch on relating that you feel like you want to say or that I didn't ask you about? Keep going. Keep up the, the, the pressure and the fight. And um, um, yeah, I, you know, in my lifetime, I would like I would still like to see a female president in my lifetime. I hope we get there. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> I hope we get there. Um, well, we wrap up our podcast. Well, uh, typically I actually do have a co-host. She's been out of town. Um, so I've been kind of interviewing and having a lot of people along. Um, so can you um, tell me what you're looking forward to this week? That's how her and I always wrap it up. We say one positive thing that we're looking forward to. Um, what are you looking forward to? Oh, well, I, I stopped writing for a while. So actually, what I'm really looking forward to this weekend is to have some time to put some dedicated time to writing um, uh, a new book that I started out as really kind of a fun, funny sort of joke 
Uh, it's called the panty thief, um, but it's <laughs> for some reason I can't help myself. It's turned a little serious, and um, it's going to have some elements of um, addiction, drug usage, Ooh. mental health issues because I just I can't help myself. I sneak those serious topics in, and all of a sudden it's turned serious. And so I I'm looking forward to sitting down and writing, and maybe having some more relaxed time to get it back to. Because I always have a bit of humor in my in my writing. Um, I'm, I'm known for being a little bit quirky, and um, I guess my books are really funny. Um, I don't mean them to be funny, but somehow they get to be funny. And so I'm looking forward to turning some more humor back into this, where it's starting to get real serious, and I want to bring it back. Uh, so perfect. Um, what am I looking forward to this week? Well, I've been super busy, so I'm looking forward to relaxing and maybe hanging out with my niece, who uh, we kind of have a relation there. You know who yes. she is. So, yeah, so hanging out there. <laughs> yeah. Good. Awesome. Well, have a great weekend and a great week. And well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you for being on.